0: Your personal health insurance, it might be your personal cell phone, it might be some travel, it might be certain meals and things like that. So, I would say, you know, my number one thing is documenting the business. I think the easiest thing you can do.
1: Uh- Welcome back to Young Smart Money with me, your host, Apple Crater. Today we're sitting down with Brad Whalen. This dude is big in the web-based business space when it comes to buying and selling online businesses. Brad is somebody who has a lot of experience doing that. He actually bought 26 different websites in a very short time frame, ended up selling off some of those and now he's transitioned into a role with Quiet Light Brokerage where he is facilitating these transactions between people. So in this episode, we're diving really deep on how to build a business for selling even if you don't plan on selling it on um, the sort of the foundational aspects that you need to do that effectively. Um, how much your business is actually worth, um, because a lot of people have no idea how much their online businesses are actually worth and how to value those. So we're diving into that as well. And all in all, this was a really eye opening episode for me as somebody who owns a couple online businesses has sold online businesses in the past, I really learned a lot about the process, how it really works. And the steps you should be taking from the start. Again, even if you don't plan on selling your business, there's foundational things you should be putting in place just to like, make your business more effective and to like make it run more fluidly and better. Um, Um, That Brad is going to be talking about throughout this episode. So, without further ado, um, if you guys are at all interested in the world of online business, which if you're listening to this podcast, I don't understand why you wouldn't be, um, we're going to dive right on into it with Brad Wayland. So, I want you guys to sit back, relax, plug in, and enjoy this episode of Young Smart Money. All right, Brad, welcome to Young Smart Money. How are you doing today? We're doing
0: well. How are you, Apple?
1: I am doing just fantastic. It is a swell day over here in Minnesota right now. Uh, Brad, could you fill our listeners in? I gave them a quick intro to you um, in the beginning of this episode, but for those of them that aren't familiar with who you are and what you're currently doing, give us a quick like 60 second snapshot of where you're at right now.
0: So I would describe myself as an entrepreneur. Uh, I've been primarily in the web uh, space uh, for the last uh, 15 years and I've um, built some companies, have done a lot of buying and selling of web-based assets. And then most recently, I've been working uh, with Quiet Light Brokerage and actually helping buyers and sellers come together to acquire or sell an online-based business. And so uh, I've been doing that the last couple of years. I'm still uh, involved in a lot of entrepreneurial activities, um, but that has been my main focus for the last couple of years.
1: Awesome. So let's talk about when you got your start in entrepreneurship. So like 15 plus years ago, what was the draw or like, what brought you into the uh, sphere of entrepreneurship?
0: Well, I graduated in uh, 2002 with a finance degree and was planning on being a financial planner and uh, the college that I was attending um Had a financial planning track, and one of my professors actually effectively convinced me that all the jobs that I would get would be bad for my customers. And uh, so, not to get too far into it, but I'm sure you've heard of indexing. Yeah. So uh, one of my professors was, you know, was on that kind of early pick of uh, buying up, you know index funds instead of actively managed funds. And as you know, most money managers are making their money from selling load type funds. And Mm -hmm. so I started having this like, hey, I've got this degree in financial planning, but all the places I would go work would be places where I would have to charge people 5% up front to take their money and invest it. And I kind of felt like, I felt like maybe I would be doing them wrong. And so I started looking to other corporate opportunities. I took a job doing sales and use tax accounting. Uh, for Camping World, uh, which you might be familiar with, Camping World, and uh, checked into kind of corporate America. And when I say checked in, I meant like checked into my jail cell because that's what it felt like to me from day one. Um, my dad was a corporate um, person for for thirty plus years. I always thought, oh, I want to be like dad. I'll go do you know the corporate gig. And honestly, within like a couple of weeks, I was like. And I just, I really am struggling with this environment. This is not for me. I had run my own business through college. I had always done entrepreneurial things. And so within three months, I was thinking, I guess I'll go do the financial planning route because at least then I can kind of be my own boss. So, um, went to do that and, um, got a job offer from Edward Jones. I was ready to take it. And some friends of mine had been running a t-shirt business that printed custom t-shirts and they had just launched a website to sell them online. And I talked to them one day and they said, Hey, you know, we've just crossed a million dollars in revenue and, you know, we're looking for someone to come on and just work on business development, maybe work on sales, work on different things. They had to outsource all the web activities to a firm. And so I came on and I actually spent about six months just trying to sell corporate wear to various, you know, <laughs> any, anyone, you know, People that needed uniforms, people that needed them for uh, fraternities and sororities or family reunions or corporate events and had a, you know, a little bit of success doing it, but not enough to ever really see how it could turn into like a career. And then one day I just, uh, they asked me to take over some duties on the website and I started kind of looking at the website, kind of like, how do these orders even come in? Where do these people find us? I started researching it. I started getting really enamored with Google search. And that kind of put me on a path that kind of changed my whole career direction. So I spent the next few years fumbling around natural search, trying to rank in search engines and didn't do a very good job of it. But eventually, after enough failures, uh, kind of understood what I was doing. We built a really great product that took about two years to launch. And by 2007, when we launched it, uh, it was for a company called Blue Cotton, And uh, just a custom printed t-shirts company for like small groups and organizations. And when we launched it, um, Gizmodo picked up the piece and put it on their front page, an article basically saying blue cotton has created a Photoshop like environment using flash. And it crashed our site. (laughs) That was like 12 hours after launch and we were bootstrapped, you know, completely. I was just an employee. And then a month later, Adobe.com gave us a link from Adobe from their site of the day section because we had, the firm that we were working with had done some hacks in Flash to do things that Flash couldn't do yet. Mm -hmm. And so Adobe was featuring us as like a company that was doing some cutting edge things with Flash. And so um, those two links and then like Gizmodo even today has a bunch of like wannabe Gizmodo you know, bloggers. So when we got the link from Gizmodo, we got like hundreds of links from kind of wannabe Gizmodos or smaller sets. And then we got the link from Adobe. And so all this work I'd put into natural search finally paid off because we had built the site to rank. And so anyway, we grew at like 50% for nine years. And if you fast forward to today, I mean, even, even if you look at my little window here, this is our, this is our 110,000 square foot production facility. And We've got 125 employees that are producing custom t-shirts. We do tons of B2B for, there's names that you know off the top of your head, publicly traded companies, big private companies that do custom t-shirts, and we do their fulfillment. And then we still have this, um, you know, our own business too, which is the blue cotton business. Uh, but, in, but around 2010, just, to, I don't know how far you wanted me to go into it, but around 2010, um, our growth was starting to slow. We were starting to get more into these conversations about doing B2B work. And mm. I started really being enamored with the idea of using this search engine knowledge to do other things. So I had done a, a little small video game startup with a friend that we grew to 750000 in revenue in 2007 also. And then I had bought an online tool parts business from a broker and, um, and it was an absolute nightmare and I, I, I was so lucky to sell it to the biggest name without losing money on it because it was not a good choice of investment for me. I, we didn't know enough about tools and we didn't know all the headaches there. So uh, in 2010, I started buying content sites and from 2010 to 2015, I bought 26 online businesses in the content space hmm. and then um, I've actually been through about four sales um, coupled to individuals Uh, One to a private equity firm and and one to uh, just a small kind of media shop. And it was when in the exit of those in 2015 that I started looking for something different. And that's when I was approached by Quiet Light Brokerage about, hey, we see that you've got a lot of experience. You've bought a lot. You've sold a lot. You've built businesses. You've failed. You've succeeded. And we'd like to see if you can come help our sellers um, move their businesses and provide you know kind of advisory services so that's kind of why I'm here today is to kind of talk about um, whatever aspects of, of this kind of journey that you want to talk about but, but actually what I do for my day-to-day is um, I do brokerage work now and, and I try to I just basically review um, numbers with buyers and sellers and we talk about trying to put deals together and I try to be the glue that holds things together so they don't fall apart
1: I love it. Um, so I'm curious what got you into buying those content sites at first? Um, what was the draw there? Cause it seems like before that you did not really have any, any experience with those.
0: Yeah. So one of the parts that I glossed over in the story is that in 2007, when I built that little startup, um, or vintage video games, the part, the uh, people, people I was working for at blue cotton, the two, the two owners, thought that that meant I was trying to like pave my way out. So in, in 2008, they approached me and said, Hey, um, we want you to become one of the owners of this business. And so I did, we did some selling of shares in these other assets that I owned and we did some creative things. And so, uh, I came on as an owner, um, which, uh, was a good thing for me. Uh on my career trajectory and, and uh, has provided a lot of opportunities for me and helped me get a lot of real estate that I wouldn't have. We've moved into three different buildings. And so we own these you know, buildings and we rent them uh, either to ourselves or others. So it's, it's built a nice real estate portfolio uh, for me. But um, to kind of answer your question, custom t-shirts, if you don't know, is a very labor intensive kind of business. And yeah, I would imagine. Uh, we, we one time calculated that for an order to go out, it needed to touch 22 hands from the time it came in to the time it went out. I mean, every order is custom. That shirt you have on right now, is that a retail shirt or is that a, uh, something you got from, I got it from a
1: music festival, so I'm not okay. totally sure. <laughs>
0: so, so that music festival, we do a lot of printing for Nashville. I I live 50 minutes North of Nashville. So we print for many of the concerts and festivals come through this shop. Hmm. And so um, when those are ordered, they're ordered in bulk and there's a specific shirt with a specific design. Now that looks like a pretty simple design you have on, but some designs aren't that simple. If you get stuff for the country music stuff, you're getting like a full blown Kenny Chesney or something, you know, like 10 colors. And it's a lot of labor, you know, to do it. So one day uh, a friend of mine who owned a website in the vectors, you know, like image vectors, people use for Photoshop, things like that. He owned a, uh, a site called Vect Easy. and it's E-E-Z-Y, called VectEasy, and it was just a resource for free downloadable vectors. That was like what it was. It was just a content site for it. And he was looking at a blog in the design space, and he came to me and said, I was going to buy this, but it's not going to fit with my vision of where I'm going, so I'm going to pass on it. And I'm looking at the blog, and the blog is earning like $3,000 a month and it's for sale for $50,000. And I'm going, wait a second. $3,000 a month and it's for sale for $50,000. Like, that's a really good return on your investment. Like, if yeah. you keep that thing for 10 years, you could make a ton of money. So I just mentioned to him, man, I wish I could buy that. And he was like, I would love it if you bought it. You should buy it. And I was like, well, doesn't it kind of compete with you? He's like, no, not really. You know, you should buy it. So I bought it, and you know, so I bought this site for fifty thousand dollars, and I was just sold because a content site. And I don't know how much you talk about the content sites on the podcast, but you know, content site is you're managing a body of content that's relying on search primarily in most cases, and you're leveraging it with display advertising which you don't have to do really anything for unless you really want to and you're leveraging it with affiliate partnerships and so the workload is like if you wake up in the morning and you feel like going and working on your content site that's great and if you don't it's probably not going to see a significant change in earnings after one day now eventually you know you can you can kill those things off too um, so I became enamored with the business model and you know, I told you I bought 26. You're probably thinking, well, why did you go so crazy? Well, that yeah. was the thing. It just, once I got it in my blood, I was like, this is like the most exciting money making opportunity I've ever seen. So then I started seeking out another design site after about six months and I overpaid, I paid 72,500 for a site that was worth like maybe 50. But I was so desperate to get another one that eventually I just was like, I want to get one in the same space because I'm already doing some things. So I was able to leverage the same kinds of offers and things to, to users. But after that, the financial markets took a bad turn and it really hit the design, the web design community, the freelancers and stuff. It really hit them hard in 2010, late 2010. And so I started getting emails from people saying, Hey, I heard you're the guy that buys the web design sites. Would you want to buy mine? And so then I started looking at them, and I was, I was pretty much out of money. I I had, I had exhausted, uh, my resources already. So I was trying to figure out, well, I don't even know how I'm going to buy them. So I started shooting them really low offers. Like, well, I, I don't really, it's not really a great time for me to buy, but, um, you're earning two thousand a month, okay. Uh, that's twenty-four thousand a year. I'm sorry, but I would buy it if you'd sell it to me for seventeen five. And they're like, sounds good. And I'm like, Okay. So I started buying them. And I went through and bought, I ended up buying 15 sites in that space. And my, my transactions grew over time. Like a lot of those came to me because I became it's a small community. I wasn't really that well known, but I became known in that little community as someone that was buying up these, you know, certain blogs but I ended up buying some bigger things as time went on. When I got towards the end, I was buying 300 to $500,000 sites. And um, they were much larger kind of content sites. And that is kind of the name of the game in content. You want to buy the biggest site you can, because it's, you know, you're getting the traffic primarily from Google and then you're leveraging display ads, you know, on top of it.
1: For sure. So how are you like balancing all of those different like plates between like all those different Uh sites at the same time? That seems crazy. Uh, I don't know
0: I I probably wasn't uh balancing them very well to be honest with you I mean I um of course I still had the custom t-shirt you know work and and that that led me to a a nice lifestyle where I could work when I wanted and I was always willing to work so I'm a guy that would you know always have my laptop with me or my you know uh I didn't work for my phone back then much nowadays we work from our phones it seems like a lot of times but but I always had my stuff with me. So I was willing to have it on. And you know, even when we watched shows at night or whatever, I'd have my laptop on my lap. And so I felt like I could accomplish a lot with a little in, in a lot of ways because of the types of work that we had. We had teams that did a lot of the work at Blue Cotton. On the portfolio, which is the the content based assets. I I really structured everything to where I didn't have to spend any time. So like just as an example, I had a team of writers and I just had very strict rules. It was like if you were on contract with me, I would say, hey, I don't have tons of time. So I want you to do 10 posts this month. Send me your titles. Like, I don't want to come up with the topics. You need to send – you're an expert in your field. So send me the titles. You write the piece. And, um, and then I would only pick writers that I knew were going to be writing, you know, pieces that I liked. And then a lot of times those freelance writers, they want to be paid, you know, when they get the piece done. But that means if they do 10 articles and I'm giving them 10 payments – And that's just a lot of time. So I would say, look, if you want to work for me, I'll I'll pay your rate. I'll do this. I'll do that. But I want to pay one time a month. So I tried to structure everything where I could kind of systematically, you know, do things. So I would pay everybody on the same day um, and I would just kind of keep it very low touch so that I could work on the high level strategy. And I've always told people that I did not squeeze every dollar out of those sites. I was trying to get like the 80% low hanging fruit and ignoring completely the 20% that would have really, you know, maybe put the sites over the top. It might, it might've been a better strategy for me to do less, but I just, I really enjoyed buying and I really enjoyed like, squeezing out the low hanging fruit, the big wins. I didn't enjoy as much the small incremental wins. I questioned the data a lot of times like, Oh, Hey, this looks like it earned another $10 today. And then I would think that's probably just a false positive. But if I could do something where it was like, Hey, this increased the earnings by $700 this month, then I knew like, okay, that's a real win. Like as long as I can keep my traffic in Google, Hey, that's a real win.
1: Hmm. So how are you finding these writers? And like, what, what were you looking for in, in a person to know if they'd be a good fit for you?
0: Yeah, so in the web design space, where I had—that's where I had writers. Um, at the time, we didn't have. Of course, there was versions of Upwork, you know, and things like that. Um, they weren't the same. Like Upwork is has acquired—I don't know which ones which—but there was Elance, and there was. I mean, there were so many of those, mm-hmm. you know, forms. But um, I actually found that uh, a lot of the sites had writers that they had used. So mm-hmm. the web design space, um, everyone worked with the same ad platform at the time, it's called buy sell ads, which is still a company today. And uh, the owner of that, Todd Garland's a good friend of mine, but um, so I would get, that's how I would go out and like source deals. So after I kind of got through the bad economy stuff, I would go out and just look through buy sell ads at the web design, design and development, graphic design categories. And I would just email them all and say, hey, if you ever want to sell, let me know. But every time I would acquire a site, there'd be names that were kind of attached to it historically. So I would have their emails, and I would see, hey, do you would you like to write?" And then over time, people would reach out and also ask to do it. And then if I ever ran short, there were the smashing mags of the world and some of these larger sites, and I would just go out there and even today, you can go out there and you'll find new names every single day. And so you just Google the people's names, email them, ask them if they want to write, you know, sometimes their fees are I charge four hundred dollars an article and you're like, "Oh man, I was looking for like, you know a hundred, you know or whatever the number is. And so um, that's kind of how I did the, you know, finding the writers. But my goal was I didn't see a lot of value uh, at the time in having like 20 writers. So instead, I had like 15 sites and I had like four writers doing all the writing for all of
1: them. Wow. That's huge. That's huge. So I want to talk about like building a business to sell because that's something that a lot of young people have asked me about. And it's something that I don't have any experience in. Well, I've sold... I've sold a couple digital assets, like I've sold Instagram accounts before, um, but nothing super crazy, nothing in like the, the, the huge space. But like when, you, when you're thinking about like building a business, do you think it's always a smart idea to think about building it to sell? Or do you think there are some scenarios where that's not, not the case or not the mindset that you, you use?
0: Yeah, I really do think that you should always build it to sell, even if you don't plan on selling, uh, just because things change. I mean, life just throws a lot of curveballs at you. You don't really know what you're going to get, you know, from that sense. So um, there are kind of some keys that we kind of recommend at Quiet Light for people that are, um, sorry, I don't want to mess up that microphone. Um, So there are some keys that I think that, you know, can really help. Um, One of the things that I try to encourage people to always do, which is a very simple thing, is just to keep monthly numbers. You know Whether you're using QuickBooks or whether you're using Zero, you can use a spreadsheet. But yeah. every month should have a cost. If you want to use a spreadsheet, that's a really easy way to do it. You can do it on a Google Doc. It doesn't cost you any money. You know, if this is June, then June should have a profit and loss. And the top line should be your revenue. And if you've got any cost of goods, then that should be your next line. And then we should have a whole line of expenses, all the things you spent money on, And then when you go to sell a business, we also have what's called an add back schedule. So let's just say, you know, in in your business that um, uh, you do a lot of personal travel that ends up getting kind of written off on the business and things like that, that your accountant says are okay, Mm -hmm. it's still okay by the tax laws or something. Well, when you go to sell it, you're not going to want that to be deducted from what you made because you're choosing to take a business expense that's, you know, you're right you know to do. So we do an ad back schedule where we add back things that are not really connected to the business. So there could be, you know, 10 lines of ad backs. It might be your personal health insurance, it might be your personal cell phone, it might be some travel, it might be certain meals and things like that. So I would say, you know, my number one thing is documenting the business. I think the easiest thing you can do um you know I do some I do some financial counseling for for people at Blue Cotton and you know I've got a guy that ran a web uh, a lawn business last year. And so on the side, he runs, you know, he, he runs our production floor, but he has a lawn business and he has people that mow lawns for him and they go out and source work. He's just a, kind of an entrepreneur. And, um, and he came to me and said, hey, I think I want to buy a new truck. And I was like, well, um, can you really afford you know, to buy a new truck? And he was like, I don't know. I don't know if I can afford to buy a new truck or not. And I was like, well, I mean, you know, your monthly budget doesn't seem to really allow for it. And he was like, yeah, but if I'm mowing, then I have enough money to do it. And I was like, okay, but how much money did you make last summer? And he was like, I have no idea. I don't know if I made anything. So what was interesting about the, the exercises, I said, okay, well, why don't we just work together this year? And this is, this is now, this is a current story. Why don't we work together and let's just each month let's meet and we'll total up all the money you bring in from your lawns. We'll total up all your expenses and then we'll come up with what your income is. And then we can find out, you know, if you can afford a truck for the business um, or if it's just kind of a want that you're going to you know, need to, I mean, you could still buy it if you wanted to, but Um, but if he wants to justify it through the business, that's a way to do it. And it's been so rewarding for him to see it because he didn't know what he had made last year. He wasn't even sure about it. And we went through the first month we went through was April and he had like $2,500 in revenue and his expenses were like 600 bucks. So he was like, Hey, I made 1900 extra dollars this month, you know, doing this. So it's just a small business. And doing that has made him think differently about that money when it comes into his bank account. It's not just kind of Getting stacked up with every, you know, all the other money, and just like, hey, I just spend what I have. Now he's like, well, I need to do something with this money. I need to do something meaningful with it. So, I think the most important thing is documenting your financials, uh, and that is the best way to kind of build something to sell. Because if people come to me and they, and I'm telling them they need like three years of history to get a really good valuation for their business. If they haven't done the numbers, it ends up being a giant, complicated task to go reconstruct everything that happened in those months and yeah. sometimes there's there's things that happen and then they're like i don't know why this 15 i don't even know what this 1500 dollars is i don't know if it's rev- i don't know what it is you know that they're confused on it
1: mm. that's so huge because like only recently in the last few months have i really like gotten serious about getting my numbers straight because i i had just been like letting the money come in and like not really thinking about it because i don't spend that much money myself and i knew i was spending less than i was making so i was kind of like i'm totally fine but then like as i started letting more clients getting more money i was like i really got to get this under control because like i like tax season last year was such a mess i mean i was so unorganized it was it was disgusting. So I, I've really turned that around since since that time yeah. of the year. And um, now I'm, I'm extremely on track. And it's it's really, it's like, yeah, like you said, it's a whole different feeling when you know where the money's coming from, how yeah. much it is and, and what you're going to do with it. It's, it's totally,
0: it's night and day. Yeah, that's a big factor. Now I will say this, and I don't know if this is something that you wanted to get into on that topic, but when you say you know, should you build a business to sell? You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know what people think when they think of it as a broker. Like when uh, – are you in the Minneapolis area? Yeah. Okay, so the founder of Quiet Light is a guy named Mark Doust, mm-hmm. and he lives in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Oh. Um, so he's he's in your neck of the woods. But, you know, um, Quiet Light is kind of known as uh, – so our, our kind of our, our core mantra is relentless honesty. And so we're not salesmen. Um, you know, I'm not – I have no desire to go work for a brokerage so that I can try to sell people on selling their business. Like I like the business advisory side of it. And I like trying to put deals together. It kind of gives me that same feeling that I had when I was out buying deals. Like hey, I'm, I'm pairing up a seller and a buyer and I enjoy that piece, but sellers come to me all the time and they say, I need to know when I'm supposed to sell.
1: Hmm. And
0: you know that's a, that's a question that's very tough to answer and one that you probably wouldn't expect a broker to give you this answer for, but, but here's my, my answer to that. And it kind of fits along that relentless honesty you know, mantra. If you have a business that you think you can maintain, like you don't think it's going to fall off a cliff for any reason if you do the work and you enjoy working in it, you should never ever sell it. <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> If you want to know what's going to make you the most money, the most money is not selling in 99% of the instances. The Making the most money is operating. And so when you sell out, you, now you may decide, hey, I, I want to do something different. And if you decide you want to do something different, then sometimes it's smart to sell even before you're ready to sell. Because if you get to the point of exhaustion or where you just can't stare, stand looking at it anymore, like if you wake up one day and you're like, I just cannot I don't want to interview one more of those Brad Wayland guys ever again. You've waited too long to sell. Like you need to, you know, plan for that before you get to that point. So um I do think that's a very important part is that, you know, maybe people need to sell at some point because they either want to they want to change a scenery, they want cash for something, they've got other kinds of plans, they're ready to retire. There's all kinds of reasons why we need to sell eventually. But if the question is I don't know when I should sell, in my opinion, the answer is If you enjoy the business and you think that you can keep the business alive, like you think you've got good prospects for going forward, you shouldn't sell it. You should just keep it and you should let that be an income producing machine for you.
1: Mm, I like that a lot. And that's, that's huge transparency right there. But one question that I have for you and something that a lot of young people are doing is, is building personal brands and and building some kind of, of, of business that revolves heavily around themselves and and their personality and what they're bringing to the table. So how do you think about these businesses and have you had any experience like dealing with, with any kind of like personal brand, or like businesses that heavily relied on like one person's reputation?
0: They're harder to sell. Uh, for sure. I will say this. So we need to differentiate between what is a personal brand and what's not. So let's just kind of go down that road a little bit. Um, I'll give an example. So someone comes to me with a blog and it's not, I don't know. I want to name a blog that like people would know, like, let's say, uh, this is not a great, um, um, let's say, uh, well, let's use PewDiePie. Sure. Okay. So, so if PewDie wanted to sell, there's some traffic there, and so it would kind of work. But, I mean, we probably would assume that the brand would suffer greatly. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's an example of, like, a true personality that's come on, built a brand, and it's like if they're gone, it's probably not going to do, you know, very well going forward. However, when you're talking about web-based assets, what you have is you have these blogs. Like, I had a, I had a lady who had a blog that was about divorce, And she wanted to sell it and she had her picture on it and it was like her waving. And it's like all this advice about divorce, but all the rankings in Google were articles about dealing with divorce. And so when buyers would look at the site, they'd be like, Oh, I could never take over this site because this person is the brand. Well, the thing is that person isn't the brand. Like I could remove her image from the site and it would rank on its own for forever without any problem at all, because Google doesn't care about her. And you can even verify that by kind of seeing the relevance of the name of the blog versus the relevance of her name, different kinds of searches you can do. So I think in the situations where you have a personality, um, even your podcast, it's, it's built around you right now. Yeah. Now what people do is over time, like take uh, you ever heard of Dave Ramsey, the financial yeah. guy. Okay. So Dave Ramsey for years did financial counseling and he did a three hour show. And I don't really follow, you know, that, space that much. But I've noticed over the last few years, he's not the only guy now. What they've done is they're like, okay, we've built this big brand. So let's start plugging people in so that he can leave. (laughs) That's that's all about his exit plan is about, I got to build a brand that's about giving good financial advice to people and helping them with their personal finance. And so he's paid his way out. So I think you kind of have to recognize that. Like you said, you've sold some Instagram accounts or even Twitter accounts. Like there was a, there's an account, that's a, a parody account that blue cotton fulfills for. And it's about golf. It's just a golf account. And this kid, you know, came up with this parody golf account and they, he shows videos of people like making crazy shots or doing funny things, falling into the water after they, and it's very funny. And it, for people that like golf, it's, it's an interesting you know, kind of thing, but he makes like 25 grand a year from this parody account from t-shirt sales and blue cotton does the wow. fulfillment for it. So it's not tied to him at all. It's just tied to the account itself. So I do think like, especially with Instagram, I would guess that you're probably talking about situations where it probably is heavily tied to the person themselves. Mm -hmm. And I do think those are assets that are really difficult to sell. And so if you're going to go down that road, I'm not saying that it's impossible to sell it, but I would say just kind of understand that you're making your money along the way, as long as you're willing to work in it, as long as you're willing to hustle and do the things, that's where you're making your money, you're probably not looking at some huge exit, unless you're able to build it into such a brand where you can start bringing in, you know, different people to kind of help enhance it, you know, like the Dave Ramsey thing, you know, that's a long standing, multi million listener kind of platform. And so when they decide to bring somebody in, they can have a real voice and like transition some of the audience off to that person. Harder to do that when you're talking about, an individual Instagram account that you've figured out how to monetize to a few thousand dollars a month or something like that.
1: Absolutely. So what are some of like the structural pieces that you think are really important when it comes to like building that foundation of a business that you eventually want to exit? Like what are some of the things that people should be thinking about from the beginning of like the pieces they should be putting yeah. in place?
0: Yeah. So when we're talking about web-based businesses and that's, that's all the that quiet Light deals in 100% sure. web-based businesses. So, um, I think that the first part that we hit on already, your numbers, mm-hmm. and making sure your numbers are buttoned up all the time. The other thing is, I always try to build my businesses with transferability. So I'll give you an example. Um, if you have one Google Analytics account and then you put all your sites underneath that one email address in that one account, when you go to try to sell off those assets, the person's gonna say, Hey, I want the analytics history. And what you're gonna have to be faced with is, Okay, well, if I'm gonna give you the analytics history, then I'm gonna have to hand over all of my data for all of my sites and I'm no longer going to have access to it unless we're both going to have access to it and you I can't just parse it out so then the person has to go create a brand new analytics account now an analytics account's not the end of the world it's not to say that you couldn't sell it if you don't structure it that way but when I was kind of building the portfolio I always kind of segmented things out for full transferability because I knew I was going to sell them someday so if I was gonna do an analytics account, it was tied to an email to that site so that when, when I was gonna transfer it, I could say, hey, I'm transferring this email address to you. All you gotta do is change the billing out in the uh, Google you know, app, and then you'll have all the analytics data. Same thing with hosting. People for years, you, you, you're, you've got 10 sites and you've got them all hosted on this one single server, and that might save you some dollars. But you know what the buyers wanna hear when they come? They do not wanna hear, you need to move the website and hope that everything goes okay. That's a great way of blowing up a deal. So what they wanna hear is, hey, you can just go in and change out your credit card info and you can take over my hosting account. So on those sites that I had, I had them on individual hosting accounts across the board because I wanted them to be fully transferable depending on what I might wanna do. So I think you have gotta build it for transferability you know, from the get go. Here's another one, like in the blog space, and I don't know how this would apply to other spaces, but in the blog space, I never used my own name. So there'd be articles where I was involved in some piece, like, hey, I don't want this, it's not really written by this person, it needs to be written by like a staff writer, or by someone that's connected to this blog. So I made up a pen name to just have articles go under, and then when people start to say like, oh, the identity is connected to that person, you're like, oh, well, good, because that's not a real person. And that person transfers with the sale. So I think you just kind of got to think in the, in the way of like, what would be really easy, you know, to transfer things. Um, another thing that we run into that's, a, that's problematic is the commingling of business funds. So, um, you know, if you have one bank account and all your business income goes into that and all your other income and personal expenses come out of it, when someone's trying to verify that in due diligence, when they've come under contract, they might question your numbers. Whereas, if you just segment everything out, have separate bank accounts, Have if you've got two businesses, you've got two distinct sets of where the income comes in and goes out. Commingling of businesses is a real problem when trying to sell, and it's a very large problem for what's called SBA. I don't know if everyone ever talks about SBA on your show, but uh, that's Small Business Administration Loan. An SBA loan allows people to get loans as low as 10% down to buy a business. So someone can look at, um, they're they're usually more sizable. They're they're usually um, 500,000 and above purchases. Mm -hmm. But let's just say that someone wants to buy a million dollar business. Well, if it's got good tax returns that don't have any of that co-mingling where you're mixing businesses, then they might be able to put down as little as $100,000 and buy a million dollar business through this government program called the SBA. And um, co-mingling is one of the fastest ways to kill off SBA qualifications. Like if they start seeing that there's multiple businesses flowing in, they're like, hey, we can't trust these numbers, sorry. Hmm. So
1: that's super interesting. And when it comes to like valuing a website, what are some of the metrics that that people typically look at?
0: Okay, so um, the value of a website lives and dies by the trailing 12 months seller discretionary earnings. So just not to confuse anyone, but Seller discretionary earnings is just your net income for the business plus those ad backs we talked about. You've got your personal insurance or something like that on there, so it's really your net income, but it's your net income plus things that aren't really related to the business that might be expenses. So the valuations live and die by that trailing twelve months. So if you were selling a business today and we're on June twenty sixth, since June's not done, we would be valuing it based on July one of two thousand eighteen to June thirtieth of two thousand nineteen, or I'm sorry since June's not done, we'd be valuing it based on June one to May 31. Once we get four more days in for this month, uh, then, then we'd be valuing it based on um, that trailing 12 month year. So that's the first thing is knowing that like, Hey, I need to have a really good year of the year I'm going to sell. Like I don't want to take on expenses that are not smart for the business, take on advertising that I don't know will work, things like that. You want that trailing 12 months to look really good. The other thing is the trends. What do the trends look like? So, if you have a business that's got a three year history and the trends are down, you made a hundred thousand three years ago, then you made eighty thousand, then you made sixty thousand, you are not dealing with a highly sellable business. And that will drive the multiple down. Like a multiple for something like that that was e-commerce or or content or something like that might be like two times. It wouldn't be a very good multiple. Whereas if you've got if it was the reverse of that, you've run it for three years, you got sixty thousand in earnings, eighty thousand in earnings, and now you're at hundred thousand in earnings and the prospects for the future look good on an e-commerce business, like an Amazon based business or something, you might sell that for over a three times, you know, multiple. Um, and then it, it just depends on the industry. There's different multiples for different industries, like, uh, software as a service businesses, SAS, you know, type models sell for much higher multiples. We sell those between most of them selling the four times trailing 12 months earnings, but we've sold some as high as six or seven. Um, just based on, you know, they're very hot right now content's really hot right now. Content, um, you know, a couple of years ago was selling around three, 3.2. I've sold several at 3.5 to four recently um, because people are really wanting content because they're proving to be very long-term assets, you know, for people. The Amazon businesses, as they're getting larger, they're becoming a more higher multiple. Amazon businesses used to move at about a 2.5 multiple if they had steady trends. Now they're mainly moving at higher two point, like 2.8, 2.9. But if you get the income up above $500,000, $750,000 $500,000, 750000 a year, those are pretty large stores, but the multiples are going up They're three 3.5, they're 4, um, starting to get into some pretty high multiples for financial buyers.
1: Wow. And just to clarify for our listeners, that multiple is of the trailing 12-month?
0: Trailing 12 months earnings. So, your actual, so if, if you got $100,000 in revenue and you've got $50,000 in profit, um, that profit number, which would include those ad backs, like mm-hmm. we said, the seller discretionary earnings, we would take that $50,000 times three times or times two and a half times. Um, so that that's kind of the that's kind of the way that's calculated. It's always calculated on earnings.
1: Huh, I love it. Well, uh, it's been a pleasure so far. I do have some questions though that I like to ask all of my guests, Brad, before we do wrap up the show. So are you feeling ready for those? I'm ready. All right, let's dive right on in. The first of which is, some, what is something that genuinely has you excited right now? It could be in your business, in the wider realm of just like internet-based businesses or like just what's got you fired up?
0: There's two things that we fired up. One's business related and one's not. Um, what I'm fired up right now is this, seeing this industry, the buying and selling of websites grow up before our very eyes. Just five years ago at Quiet Light, they dreamed of could we ever sell a $1 million business? It was like something they sat around a table and thought, <laughs> is there a chance that we could do it someday? And today we're averaging almost a million dollars per transaction. Wow. So we're seeing this space grow up very quickly The money is still the returns in web-based businesses are just very high. Whether you're doing a podcast, podcast has lots of opportunities to make money, or whether you are doing content sites or doing software as a service. So I'm excited about that. Outside of it, kind of my pet project for the last five years is I love cryptocurrency and Mm -hmm. love following that space. It's a a very uh, interesting emerging technology, and I think that uh, people don't really understand the impact it's going to have on the world. Um, And I think we're watching that thing just change so quickly. And it's been a lot of fun to kind of watch that uh, develop over the last, I've only been involved in the last five years, but it's been going for about 10 years now.
1: Yeah. What are some of your favorite cryptos that you're watching right now?
0: Well, I'm always a Bitcoin bull. So (laughs) I'll just tell you that the whole market lives and dies by Bitcoin. And uh, I hate to tell you for all For all your people out there that are carrying a bunch of crap coins, you will learn that King BTC will win in the end. It's got 99% (laughs) brand dominance. It's got 10 years of proof of, you know, of its, of working, but um, still do love to see the project. You know, Nano is a coin that I think is an, an unbelievable coin. It's doing unbelievably poorly in the price charts, but Nano is a free, it's a way to transact for free. It wants to go head to head with Visa and MasterCard. So when you look at Nano like you can buy a Nano coin for a dollar 40 today. But what's amazing about Nano is if you and I had our Nano wallets out right now and I sent it to you, you would receive it as quick and easy as a text message. And it comes it confirms the transactions in less than 30 seconds. It doesn't have any mining which a lot of Bitcoiners would tell you that's a bad thing that it doesn't have mining, but it uses proof of stake to kind of confirm transactions and it's free. There's no cost. So the benefit People are like, well, if it's for having nothing's free, there's no such thing as a free lunch. Well, we do have to have some people run nodes for nano to work. But just think about the retailers of the world that are processing Visa MasterCard payments or even American Express for between two and five percent. If they were willing to run a few servers to try to help confirm transactions, you're talking about instant payments for free. And you're talking about Two to five percent being added to their bottom line instantly overnight so we're going to see this technology you know bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies they are not this is not a technology like anything we've ever seen it's a protocol level change so it's like the internet it's not when people think like oh bitcoin i'm you know you can't call the chief strategist of bitcoin to come in and explain what's going on (laughs) congress can't call in bitcoin to testify you know facebook's launching a coin in 2020 called Libra, and they announced it last week, and they're already being called in to testify. Who are you gonna call in to testify about Bitcoin? <laughs> it's a completely decentralized protocol, and so um, it's gonna grow up, and it's going to do amazing things, and you know, today, people probably think it sounds crazy to talk about it, and you will have ever talk about, you know, if you talk to a Bitcoin bull, and they say, well, what will the price of Bitcoin be? And they'll say, well, eventually the price will be a million dollars a coin, and they're like, no, you're crazy, and they gloss over, but honestly, if you really kind of study the protocol and see where it's going and how it's kind of come into an existence and how it is a way to protect your money from governments watering them down by printing money um, in endless cycles, which is what they've been doing since 1971 when we didn't uh, attach ourselves to the gold standard anymore. It's a really interesting tech to kind of follow.
1: 100%, I could not agree with you more. I've had a couple of people on the show who are super passionate about crypto and it's always, it's always fascinating to learn um, more every single time about what's going on over there. <laughs> Love it. So do you have any habits, Brad, that have served you particularly well, either in your business or your lifestyle?
0: I have some habits that are good and bad for me. I would say that the things that I'm interested in, I'm really interested in. People told me years ago, I can remember I can remember being like in college and we were talking about, we had like piles of CDs, which, you know, for your millennial listeners, you're probably like, what? But we had piles of CDs and we talked about it. I remember one guy saying one night, they're like, you know, Brad, if he likes a band, it's like, he has every recording possible. He has like these recordings that he gets that are like black market, like we're recorded illegally and all stuff. And that actually kind of is my personality. And so in the things that I take interest in, I go all in on them. I go really deep and try to learn a lot about it. And I think that that has served me well in terms of my entrepreneurial path, because learning, a, you know, being a generalist is good in the web. You kind of need to be a generalist. You kind of need to know a little bit about a lot of things, but you have to have some specialization. And so I think that the habit of just digging deep into a topic and really learning about it has really benefited me. So for my, for a lot of my career with search engine optimization, I just was passionate about ranking. And so I just, I just did the work to just learn and fail and do all the things that entrepreneurs do to understand how search engines really work and understand how to build long-term success on them. And that has served me well. And even today I can use that as advice to our clients. Uh, and even for my own portfolio, which I still, you know, I still have a small portfolio of sites that I, that I still own. And I still use those, those things today.
1: I love it. Well, Brad, it's been a pleasure chatting with you today. Um, I know I got a lot of value out of this conversation. I'm sure our listeners did as well. Where can they go to follow up with you and uh, everything that you're working on with your, with yourself, with the brokerage, with all that good stuff?
0: Yeah, so they can, uh, I'm, I'm at Brad Whalen on Twitter. They can email me, Brad, at quietlightbrokerage.com. Uh, we do free valuation. So if you've got a web-based business and you want to just plan, like, hey, what would it look like to sell? I want to sell in a couple of years. Or if you just want advice, if you just want to say, hey, what do you think I should do? I, I'm, I'm, I'm making some money here. Um, you know, We do all that stuff for free. We're trying to build relationships and just build our brand in the community. And then when it comes time to sell, we hope that you'll choose us to let us facilitate the sale for you. So Brad at quietlightbrokerage.com. You can find me on Twitter, at Brad Wayland. Uh, those are a couple of good ways to find me.
1: Awesome. And I'll be sure to link up all those in the show notes below. Brad, again, super thankful for you and your time. Do you have any last parting thoughts, words of wisdom, or anything you want to wrap the show up here with today?
0: You know, just as entrepreneurs, I would just say that, kind of like we talked about, about being buttoned up about, you know, financials, you know, entrepreneurs are amazing at finding opportunities to make money. Um, But my financial planning side kind of always comes back into my mind. And so I would say that there is no class of people that are better at creating money out of nothing but I think there's also no class of people that are better at letting money fall straight through their fingers. So I would just say that, you know, if you're going to take anything away from kind of the the talk about documenting your data and, and kind of making sure that you are tracking your financials, that, you know, one of the things that I really recommend is, you know, paying yourself first. It's just like such a smart, smart way to go. And when I talk to people at Blue Cotton, whether I talk to people, you know, anywhere, I'm always telling them like, Hey, you got to have some money set aside for you. Like, and the thing is, it can be such a small amount, but you gotta have a little pile of money somewhere. Whether you wanna go buy you know, $20 worth of Bitcoin today and say, hey, I'm gonna put an auto buy on that. I'm gonna do it once a week or once a month or whatever it is. People have got to invest in themselves and I think that it's something that is sorely missing from people being able to do what they want out of life. So um, I always try to recommend to people, you know, hey, if, if you can, uh, try, to, try to pay yourself. Try to set aside some money for yourself and try to do it from as young an age as possible. Uh, If you're a millennial or if you're younger than a millennial, you know, the savings that you do between your like 18 and 30, like that savings is going to compound 10 times more than all the savings after that. And most people are waiting until they're like 50 or 55 years old to start thinking about, wait, how am I going to survive when I get to be old? So um, that's a little off the topic of what we were talking about, but it's something that is always on my mind uh, as I I talk with entrepreneurs. I know you've got a lot of really... uh, great up and coming entrepreneurs that are listening to your show. And so that idea of just realizing like, Hey, we're great at creating opportunities. We're great at creating money out of thin air. We can come up with all kinds of ways to make money. But you know, what we're also good at, we're good at losing it. We're good. We're good at not preserving it. And we need to be better at that.
1: That's the truth. Y'all. Yeah. I'm, I'm, going to school for financial planning myself. So I'm like really resonating with that. And I'm, I'm preaching it all the time. Like guys, like make sure you're setting that foundation early on and putting aside that money and, and making sure that you're building that solid, those habits, that foundation so that when, when the time comes that you like, do want to stop? Like you have the ability to do that
0: comfortably. It is. It's amazing. And, and kind of having a never touch. There's got to be something that's never touch. I don't care how big it is, but if it's never touched, then it's like, you know, you won't believe what it will grow to. A $10,000 savings over a 10 year period that you are able to hold until you retire will be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars to you if you just invested in index funds or, or something else. I mean, it's just, a, it's just an opportunity that we should not miss out
1: on. 100%, y'all. Invest that money, set it aside, never touch it. Brad, it's been a pleasure, man. Extremely grateful for you um, and for you choosing to spend your time here on Young Smart Money. It has been a pleasure.
0: Thank you very much. I really appreciate you having me on. And uh, please anyone contact me with any questions you have about web-based businesses, buying, selling, anything like that. I'd love to talk with anyone.
1: Absolutely. Well, there we go. Another episode of Young Smart Money in the Books. Glad you guys were here to spend it with us um, and really soak up as much value as possible from the guest of the day. Now, if you guys haven't already left us a review on iTunes, I know I see it at the end of every single episode, but I really do love those reviews. We've got nearly 200 at this point, which is absolutely amazing. It's crazy to see that we're reaching hundreds of thousands of people with the podcast and that some of you guys have actually chosen to go out of your way, take five seconds and write us a review it means the absolute worst to me. And again, if you guys don't know where to find the review section, because a lot of you guys hit me up and you're like, I want to write your review. I I love Young Smart Money so much, but I don't know where to write the review. You just scroll all the way down. You go to Young Smart Money, you scroll all the way down past all the episodes, past nearly 200 episodes, and you find the Write a Review section. you leave me all of your thoughts, all of your genuine, heartfelt comments about the show. I read them all. I digest them all. They get me going every single day. So I really appreciate that. And the last thing that I want to say to you guys before we wrap up here is I want you guys to take action, okay? You just spent Nearly an hour, maybe more than an hour, consuming this content. And I want you guys to take action. Okay. I really encourage you to, while you're going through the show, be mindful, take notes, really soak in the information. Don't just be there and let the information flow through you. Like let it soak into who you are and really, really find something, find one thing that you can take away from this episode that you can go out there and actually apply right now in your day today. Okay? I want you guys to stop listening to podcasts for the next little bit here, uh, maybe the next 15 minutes, and just think about how you can start to take action. Okay? Think about one thing that somebody said in this podcast today that you can apply to your own life and go out there and implement it. Okay, and then let me know how it went. Because guys, I see so many people just listening to content, soaking up content all day long, but they never do anything with it. Okay, so I want you guys, I don't want that to be you. I want you to be the person who actually takes action. So go out there, take some action, let me know how it goes, and I will see you in the next episode.